If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be reading this passage in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, looking at a message entitled, The Whole Counsel of God. You know, how we typically read the Bible is in parts or patches. Uh, All of us have our favorite Bible verse, maybe our favorite chapter in the Bible, our favorite book of the Bible, or our favorite Bible story that we go to over and over and over again, which is a great thing to have. I hope you have a, a favorite verse or a favorite chapter or a favorite book or a favorite story in Scripture. What we tend to do with the Bible is we attack it in chunks and ignore those parts that that quite honestly aren't as pleasant to read. I don't know how many of you all have done an in-depth study through the book of Lamentations. Raise your hand if you've ever gone to a Bible study on the book of Lamentations. Right. Now, we, we just, you don't see those on Right Now Media, right? Lamentations, this exciting, dynamic speaker. The book of Job is a really fun book to read. The first couple chapters are action-packed, and the last few chapters are action-packed. In the middle, about 36 to 38 chapters are a lot of Job and his friends complaining about what's going on. And it's, it's things that we kind of gloss over. So we read the story of Job, chapter 1, chapter 2, and then the last couple of chapters for the exciting part. Can you imagine if we approached any other aspect of life this way? I want to give to you just some snippets of a plot of a movie, and then I want you to tell me what movie I'm talking about, okay? So I'm just going to give you snippets. I'm not going to give you the whole plot. I'm just going to cherry pick a few highlights from a movie. At one point in this movie, a man falls in love with a girl, okay? He loves her, just undying love for this girl. At one point in this movie, this girl is uncertain if she also loves this man, She's not sure. At one point in this movie, one of the main characters ends up frozen. Okay? Yep. Now, I'm going to give you four options for what movie this could be, and you tell me which one it is. Is it A, Titanic? B, Captain America? Very similar movies, by the way. C, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery? Could be. Or D, the movie Frozen. Frozen. What movie am I talking about? A, B, C, D. The truth is all four of those movies can be described with those three plot aspects, can't they? Some of you are going, I've never seen Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Good, don't see it. It's really stupid. But a guy falls in love with a girl. She's unsure of her affections, and at one point, a main character is frozen. That happens in Captain America, happens in Austin Powers, it happens in Titanic, it happens in the movie Frozen. The truth is, if you cherry-pick part of a movie, you don't know exactly what the plot of that movie might be. Those are four radically different movies. And yet, when you cherry-pick portions of it, you're unclear about its message. This is the approach we have when we come to the Bible, isn't it? We pick our favorite highlighted parts, the parts that everybody can can be drawn to, and we focus on those missing the entire storyline of the Bible. So what I would like to do this morning is talk about the whole counsel of God. That is, the, the truth that the Bible shares, but what truth does when we read the whole truth. But what I want to do is focus on this story in Acts chapter 20, And it's because it's going to introduce us to a study we're going to start next week. 
Next week, we're going to go through the book of 1 Timothy together. And I've got to be honest, I've wrestled with this for a few weeks now on how to approach this, and it may be somewhat experimental. Are you okay with your pastor experimenting on you a little bit? Because I'm going to attempt and try to, to go through it instead of passage by passage or chunk by chunk. We're going to try to just go through it almost verse by verse. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop and say verse 1 says, verse 2 says, but we're going to read it and we're going to go through it together. Because I'm afraid so oftentimes when we go through a book of the Bible or we go through the Bible itself, we find the highlighted portions and we gravitate towards those and we ignore the message. In Acts chapter 20, it actually is a, a, a farewell address that Paul is giving the church of Ephesus. And the reason why this helps us is, is it gives us a little bit of background. When we get into 1 Timothy next week, we see that Paul is writing to his, his uh, son in the faith, Timothy, who has gone to the church of Ephesus to correct some issues and some problems they were having. And so it's helpful for us to rewind and see how Paul left the church of Ephesus. And the emphasis he gives the people in Ephesus before he leaves is preach the whole counsel, know the whole counsel, understand the whole counsel of the word of God. It is the truth and the truth alone, the understanding of the truth that allows you to grow in your faith and know what God wants for your life. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. This is Paul's farewell address to the leaders in the church in Ephesus before he leaves them. He spent two years with them. He's left on another journey, and he's come nearby, called them to him to say, I know you want me to come back, but I've got other plans that God is calling me to. Let's read together in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17, at Paul's address to the leaders in Ephesians. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, the first day that I set foot in Asia, which is literally Turkey, what we would call Asia Minor, when I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, you remember how I poured my heart out to you, the gospel. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account of my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is telling the leaders in Ephesus, I'm going to Jerusalem, I don't know what's going to happen, except I'm quite certain I will be imprisoned, I will be persecuted, and that's God's will. It's worth preaching the gospel. He continues, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul says, I won't get to see you anymore. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is literally saying, I, I have a clear conscience in how I dealt with you in Ephesus. 
I gave everything that you needed to know about the gospel message so that anyone who's rejected it, it's on their own head. It's not on mine. I've done my part. He continues on. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Knowing he's not going to be able to return to Ephesus, he calls the leaders to meet him. And the message he has is, I've done my work in Ephesus, now it's your job to proclaim the truth. He gives them some warnings. He he talks about his own ministry and his own mission. And the saddest part for them is that, that he tells them, I will not be in your presence any longer. This is the last time we'll see each other. There's weeping and there's sadness because Paul is moving on. What is the last message Paul wants to give before he he moves on to Jerusalem to, to face certain imprisonment and persecution? The last word is: I fought the good fight and I preached the whole counsel of God. I spoke the whole truth to you. I did not withhold anything. You know all you need to know for salvation. It is that truth, the truth of God's word, that gives us discipleship. It is the truth of God's word that teaches us what we are to do and what we are to be. And it is proclaiming that truth from God's word that is essential in the Christian life. Over the last six and a half years, I think I've said maybe a thousand times, the job of preaching is not the pastor. The job of preaching is the people. God has given you a calling to proclaim the truth. It doesn't rest on my shoulders or our deacon's shoulders or our Sunday school shoulders. God requires that you speak the whole counsel of God, that you know what that truth is and that you share it with others. So we'll look at some characteristics of the truth that we're called to share. When we open God's word and proclaim it, how does God change us? And what attitude should we have in sharing that with others? The first thing we, we notice here is that truth requires humility. Truth requires humility. There is no room for preaching and proclaiming the word of God in arrogance. If we approach the Bible the way God intends for us to approach the Bible, we will not be puffed up. We will be humbled and humiliated. 
As you read scripture, the people in the Bible are not the heroes. They're the ones that God has to save. They're the damsel in distress. They're the ones that are are fumbling around, and it is God, the hero, Jesus Christ, his son, the hero, who comes in and swoops up and saves us. So at what point do we read the Bible and we open up and say, look how great I am? No, scripture teaches us opposite. God is good through us. We proclaim truth. We do it in humility. Look what Paul said in Acts 20, verses 18 and 19. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. There's a really interesting story of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. You can actually read it in Acts 19 and 20, and I encourage you to do that. But his time in Ephesus was not meant to be two years, and at this point it's been three years since he arrived. He's left and is on his way back through. When he came to Ephesus, his his idea seemed to be like he did with every other church, to come, plant a church, equip some people in a few months, and move on. But he stayed there for two years. And while he stayed there, it wasn't because, because of the comfort he had. He didn't stay there for two years because it was so easy there. Quite the opposite. For two years, there was a group of people who persecuted him nonstop. Particularly, it was a group of Jewish people who ran him out of the local synagogue, who would not let him proclaim truth there. So he went to to other places to share the gospel. There's another place that he had persecution from. We saw that there were some uh, idol makers, some men who fashioned idols, who were losing money because people were following Jesus Christ. They were mad because Paul dared to say that idols made by human hands were not gods. They, They weren't necessarily mad because people weren't worshiping these false gods. They were mad because it took money out of their pockets. And so they ran Paul around. He was running for his life. At one point, he wanted to get into the middle of a fight, and some, some of his disciples had to pull him back and say, I don't think that's your place. Paul spent a lot of time persecuted in Ephesus, and he didn't have any choice but to come in a humble posture. If Paul had decided to get arrogant, God decided to humble him. When we proclaim truth, it's a humbling thing. We proclaim truth. It's not an arrogant, my way or the highway type thing. Just recently, a friend of mine on Facebook who's who's not a believer asked why it is that Christians believe they're the only way. Like, it was this arrogant. Every other religion seems to be able to coexist, but Christians cannot. And as much love as I could, I tried to explain to him that If you have truth, it's not arrogance that you say Jesus is the only way. It's love because it's only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved. We care enough about people that we don't come and say, turn or burn. We come and say, Jesus Christ loves you. He saved me and he can save you. Proclaiming the truth requires humility, which is extremely difficult. Because you and I have a tendency, a sinful nature that makes us want to puff ourselves up. The truth of God's word leads us not to stand tall, but to fall to our knees. It requires that we come before people with love and humility. The second thing about truth is, is although it requires humility, it also makes a demand. Truth demands repentance. 
It is not truth or proclaiming the word of God if you don't tell people of their sin and their need to change. That's not truth. That's sugar-coated half-truth. Paul spent time in Ephesus in the midst of this persecution, and the easy thing to do would be to say, love everybody, even the idol worshipers. Love them and don't ruffle their feathers. Love everybody, including the Jewish people who say the Messiah has not come, who's trying to run me out of town. Just love on them and back off. That would have been the easy thing to do. Coexist. That wasn't Paul's message at all. Paul preached a message of repentance. It was out of humility and it was out of love, but it was honest. There was a, a truth that needed to be shared that people by themselves naturally are sinful individuals and they're in need of a Savior. And so we must fall before the feet of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. Look in verses 20 and 21. Paul says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I told you what you needed to hear. And teaching you in public and from house to house, that is everywhere, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we focus only on the humility, soft part of truth, we miss out on the harsh reality that when we do not preach repentance, we don't preach truth, we preach a lie. When we say it's okay how you are, we say you don't need to change your sinful ways. When we sugarcoat the gospel and make it something palatable that we can, we can easily accept and come to, when we skip repentance, we're no longer proclaiming truth. There's a reason why Paul begins by saying, I came to you humbly. Because this part of the message, that truth demands repentance, it, it is a bold an offensive part of the gospel. One of my college professors used to have a phrase all the time that I loved. He would say, come to people and share the gospel in humility. Do not be offensive because the gospel itself is offensive as it is. In other words, how you carry yourself is important because the message you have is a bold and a confrontational message. Sharing the truth without repentance is not truth at all. Truth demands that you call people to fall on their knees and worship, to fall on their knees and plead for forgiveness. Truth demands that we say, God, I can't do this on my own, and I need your forgiveness and your help. Truth demands that we turn away from our sin and embrace a life with Christ. When we preach this kind of bold truth in humility, but then boldly proclaiming a message of repentance, what we find is that there are some very real consequences. Truth always yields consequences. There are two different consequences here that, that Paul points out to the church in Ephesus, the leaders there. Two, two things that happened because he humbly proclaimed the message of repentance. When Paul preached the truth in humility, he experienced first persecution from the people around him. And he expected more to come. We already talked about in chapter 19 the persecution that Paul experienced in Ephesus, but let's remind ourselves of what he said was on his way in verses 22 and 23. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, here's what he does know, the Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
you should expect when you start proclaiming the whole counsel of the word of God, truth in its entirety, you should expect afflictions and persecution. Now, I, I want to give you a little glimmer of hope, maybe soften this for you a little bit, remind you that you live in the United States of America. I, I just want you to keep that in mind. Because we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who literal imprisonment, flogging, beatings, and possibly death occurs when they proclaim the whole counsel of the Word of God. You can, for the time being, proclaim truth without danger of imprisonment at this current time in our, our country. But you can expect pushback and persecution. You can expect getting on some social media debates you can expect for people to get mad and angry. You can expect for, for persecution and hatred to come your way. I, I don't want to soften it so much to say it's no big deal, but I want to remind us that the imprisonment that Paul experienced is something you and I don't have to. You should have confidence in your boldness. And you should expect consequences when you speak the truth. Paul tells us elsewhere that that the natural man, the person apart from Christ, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. So you should expect people not to understand your message, to push back and be confused. But there's a, a second consequence that happens when you proclaim truth. The first is a persecution that comes from the outside. You should expect when you proclaim truth that the culture pushes back on you. But Paul gives us an interesting insight of what else happens when you proclaim truth. He prophesied this to the church in Ephesus, and I think it's something that's still very real danger for us as well, and that is threat and persecution from within the body of Christ. Listen to the consequences he says happens when he proclaims the truth. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This usually starts off really innocent. It starts off with, with a friendly conversation about a set of beliefs. Are you sure that's what you believe about what the Bible says? A lot of times it starts off cordial. It starts off with just a disagreement on interpretation. But the danger is, if you stand firm on the truth of God's word, there are people, even within the church, they may push back. Sadly, what a lot of churches do is they backpedal then. Well, you know, I've not thought about it that way. Let me reread it. Let me reformulate what God's Word says. Let me get a new grasp on what's going on here. And, and over and over and over again, we see, especially in American churches, that, that the consequence of speaking truth is, is not the danger from the outside. It's the danger from within. It's people within the church not wanting to believe the things of the Word of God and pushing back. Let me give you a, a brief example of how this might play out and has played out in a church where I've served before. It didn't get ugly and nasty, but you could see how God was, was speaking truth and Satan was trying to divide from within. We did a, a study on, on Genesis and on creation. And we talked on a Sunday night at a church that I attended and I preached at about how God created the world in seven or six literal days and rested on that seventh day. And how if you read the account of Scripture as a literal account, you find a couple of things. One, you find that, that God's Word makes it abundantly clear that God created the earth in six days, not six long periods. It's, it's pretty obvious the way God uses numerology and evening and morning. 
The second thing you realize, and this is really important, is that death does not occur until after the seventh day when God rests and Adam and Eve fall. There is no death on those first seven days of the creation account. Sort of some divisiveness afterwards when, when a man from our church said, well, I just believe the earth is billions of years old. So I can concede that so long as you think people have been around for billions of years. Well, no, I, I don't think that. I think God created the earth in waves, and there were dinosaurs that lived and died off, and then there were other animals that lived and died off, and God created things in waves, and then finally, millions of years later, he created people. And of course, the problem with that is there's so much death before sin enters the world. How is that possible? Now, this was something minor we had, but as we shared God's word together, what it says about when death entered the world, and when sin entered the world, and how God created everything good and perfect, there was just this rift that began to happen. It was very subtle and very small. Now, you may very well this morning not be a, a young earth creationist. I'm okay with that. You may believe in billions of years. I'm even okay with that. But you have to show me from the Bible where it says that. You can't come to me and say, I think that. The, the, the danger in speaking truth is that from with, within the church, we have our own formulated opinions our own traditions that we don't want to let go of. This is what we've been taught. This is what we believe. And the danger is that it starts off small and becomes so bold and prominent that false teachers begin to infiltrate the church. Know this. When the word of God is proclaimed, you will get attacked from without, but you can expect consequences also from within. Stand true to the message of the word of God and expect the persecution to come. Fourth, truth cannot be partially proclaimed. Paul wants us to know that truth exists in totality. It's all or nothing when it comes to truth. A half-truth is not the truth. It is a lie. That's why Paul writes to them in verses 26 and 27, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. How can Paul be innocent in proclaiming truth? Because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's a lot of danger in saying God is love and stopping there. By the way, God is love. And the danger is that we focus so much on God's love that we neglect the repentance side, we neglect the wrathful side, and we just look at God as being someone who cares and loves about everyone. There's danger in preaching a half gospel. There's also danger in focusing on, on God's justice when we focus only on God's justice and his wrath, we forget that God is a loving and gracious and forgiving God. And we have a half gospel. The whole counsel of the word of God says everything is proclaimed to give the whole picture of God. Boy, that's why we've, we've got to stop reading the Bible in chunks and we've got to start reading the whole counsel of the word of God. Because truth and partiality is not true. One of my favorite quotes from the Bible, and this is a quote from the Bible. You can look it up yourself. Okay, I, I, I can encourage you to find this verse in the Bible. There's a verse in the Bible that says, there is no God. Did you know that? There's a verse in the Bible that that's literally the words that are printed on your page. You can open it up yourself, and that is the truth. Well, I'll say that is a half-truth. Because the, the verse actually says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. But when we have a half-truth, though, what we actually have is a, a lie. We have to be very careful 
not to proclaim just the parts of God that we're comfortable with and we love, but to proclaim the totality of that truth, the whole counsel of God. And finally, and this is important, we'll spend a lot more time talking about this next week in 1 Timothy chapter 1, but truth results in encouragement. Yes, there'll be persecution from without, persecution from within, but you know things are truthful and honest. You know things are, are from the Word of God when they encourage others in the faith, when genuine believers can see God moving and working, and we, we find encouragement. Look how Paul encouraged the people in verses 35. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said to himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The work of proclaiming the truth results in caring and loving and encouraging others. Paul must have been pretty good at this because of the reaction when he said he was leaving. In verse 36 and 38, 36 through 38, when Paul had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The evidence of Paul's bold yet humble proclamation of the truth is it encouraged the people in Ephesus. They loved him. They were brokenhearted to see him go. This is a litmus test for whether or not you're proclaiming truth properly. Is it an encouragement to those who listen? To, to the brothers in Christ, are they... Are they being built up and being encouraged? This morning, I, I would beg and plead for you to believe not just the parts of Scripture that you like, not just the parts of Scripture that you're familiar with, but understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. The message of salvation is, is one that begins humbly with us saying, we love you. It proceeds boldly with us saying, you need to repent and encourages us to come to faith in Christ. This morning, as we close and go into a time of prayer, let me encourage you to know the whole truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of Paul in Ephesus, how he humbly and boldly proclaimed the truth of your word. Lord, he held nothing back. All that was needed was proclaimed. Lord, help us to study your word in totality, the parts that we're familiar with, the parts that we struggle through. Lord, help us to know your word because it is your word that gives us the message of salvation. Father, forgive us for being coffee cup Christians, slapping verses here or there. Lord, we pray this morning that we would understand your mercy and your grace and your love for us. Father, also convict our hearts to know your justice, Lord, your wrath against our sin. Lord, let us fall before you and beg and plead for forgiveness from the cross of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.